Fox. And I'm Johnny Fox. And, you know, some people say we are like the Coen brothers of podcasting, mm-hmm. except uh, we never actually work with Jeff Bridges. Quit asking. Yeah. He's too expensive. <laughs> and also, my name's always been Elliot, and if you ever thought anything else, then um, that's your problem. What do you mean? Then there, there never was a movie called Gaslight. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about uh, westerns. Yeehaw. We're yin and hawing today, fellas. We're cowboys we? today. Or are we? Because westerns oh. aren't always cowboys. Oh no. And here's where we get into the, the stuff right off the bat. So what do you know about the western genre? Well, I know, I do know that it's not always cowboys. I know that it's a specific set of like plot structures, which may or may not involve cowboys. Exactly. <laughs> so it's very like specifically defined genre. It's like, there are certain elements that like have to be in it for it to be a western. And that means that a film doesn't have to be set in the Old West to be a Western, and not all films set in the Old West are Westerns. Yeah. Because, like you said, it's about, like, there's rules regarding the plot and, like, certain characters. So there is a list of seven plots of Westerns that were um, written by an author and screenwriter, Frank Gruber. I'm not making fun of it, we just kind of have a tradition on this podcast of commenting on people's that's names. That's true, that's true. Um, the first is the um, Union Pacific story, which concerns the construction of a railroad or oh, a telegraph yeah. line or some kind of like technology or transportation. Uh, the second is the ranch story. The ran- ranch. ranch. Uh, sorry, we're filthy Brits. Horrible Brits. Um, this is about uh, like threats to the ranch from rustlers. Oh, like, rustlers! Oh no! There's like, <laughs> the rustlers. The rustlers everywhere. Or large landowners attempting to like force out the owners of a ranch. It's very difficult to steal a horse. I don't know how most so many people manage it. <laughs> they don't like being horses stole. Horses are wily creatures. They know what they want. It's not like stealing a car. Well, like you could steal a horse. It's like if you stole a car, but the car could go hammer. <laughs> and that car could bite you. Yeah, bite you. The third is the Empire story, which involves building a ranch empire or an oil empire from scratch. It's like a, a rags to riches kind of thing. Oh, you know? but yeehaw. <laughs> yeehaw. Uh, the revenge story is a fourth Ooh. one. Usually involves an elaborate uh, pursuit by a wronged individual of the, you know, of the man who wronged him. And it may also include elements of the classic mystery story. Ooh. And you see, um, there's a lot of overlap between Westerns and Noir. Um, Ooh, nice! I love... I lo- Good job, good job. Yeah, man. And the fifth is the cavalry and Indian story. Uh oh. Yeah, it revolves around taming of the wilderness. Uh oh. From um, white settlers. Don't like that one. Don't, no one likes that one. Uh, the sixth is the outlaw story. It's very kind of. Do, I do like that. We do like that one. And the seventh and uh, final is the martial story, which is um, like the exploits of a lawman trying Ooh. to restore order to this crazy world, which is quite a popular one. Yeah. So obviously films don't have to follow these rules like to the letter to be a Western because like you could replace the ranch in the ranch story as like a business or an organization that's gonna get taken over by like a bigger one. Yeah. You know? And um for example like space westerns use a lot. Oh yeah. Already. Yeah. I'm gonna insert really fast. Sorry, I just like I like Oh, no, I don't. Well, like a sci-fi western. I kind of spoiled like something I was gonna say later, but oh well. <laughs> they like using the like cavalry and the outlaw stories because they like fit quite well in. If you replace uh, wilderness with new planet and white settlers with humans, <laughs> <laughs> they love doing that. Oh, the humans as metaphors for white colonialism. <laughs> colonialism. I don't don't like. You ruined my Todd Howard joke. 
porn? I went colonialism. Two. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm doing what's up, game. This is a gamer friendly. This this is a gamer friendly episode. So other important elements of a western are um the idea of like honor and valor. Like the the, the cowboy heroes always have like a code of honor. They're like a modern day knight. like they they like wander the land on horseback and they're like bound to like no rules but their own specific code of morality. The cowboy code. <laughs> even though like super wasn't the case in real cowboys, which I'll get into. Or real knights. Or real knights really. They were Chivalry fun. was not actually a defined set of values. It was just like be kind of be excellent to each other. <laughs> it was be excellent to each other. Um, obviously there's a lot of like damsels in distress and stuff in classic westerns. Um, and I'm so more than one. These ladies concepts. keep getting tied to railroads. Keep getting tied to railroads, and it's really annoying. Actually, I wish they'd stop. <laughs> uh, there's <laughs> also the idea of like the code of honor and stuff is also an offshoot of the um, the Ronin. Yeah. The, like masterless samurai. Samurai. <laughs> samurai. Um, <laughs> oh no! Oh god! It's, it's come out. Um, during like the feudal era of Japan. Yeah. Okay. Um, cowboys and samurai. Well, obviously. I know, I know, I know. It's quite a basic fact, <laughs> but it's, fact, but it's but... specifically about like the Ronin because, like, they would often like if they lost their master, like their master died or whatever, they couldn't. Samurai couldn't legally learn a new trade. Oh, wow! But then they couldn't still be a samurai because they didn't have a master. So they would find other ways to earn a living with the skills that they had. Oh! So like they would often be mercenaries or yeah. bodyguards or like get uh become criminals because it was yeah. really like it's like transferable skills. Yeah, transferable skills of uh sword and bow. Yeah, that's all you need, baby. <laughs> In Western society, it's usually organized around this like code warner and like there's a lot of like individualism, like frontier justice. And that's why kind of revenge plots are sort of common because it's like oh, I'm gonna take this into my own hands. I'm gonna be doing a lot of bad cowboy voices yeah, today. Yeah, just co- content warning. I'm sorry if you're from the from the cowboy region. <laughs> I I'm always so said the sorry. south, but it's like not it's just not the south. In the like early era of lessons, like the the golden age, they were usually quite like straightforward morality tales, and it's like one moral man in a society of these guys who suck, and he's trying to. He's trying to sort things out. He rides into this town, sorts out all these bad guys. He's got a big, beautiful horse. The horse is beautiful. Um, and it's like, but then it, as time went on, you know, people look the grittier shit more. So they became kind of more morally ambiguous, which fits better with the actual source material that they're yeah. going for. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a cowboy's. That's a cowboy thing. So I want to give a little brief history lesson on uh, the cowboy. Because cowboy I think history. It's a, I think it's a good little background. I love history. You know, talking about cowboys. You do love history. Here on not the <laughs> We're a history podcast. Here on not So the basic kind of idea of cowboys comes from um, Spanish colonization of like Central um, mm-hmm. America, like in Mexico specifically. The system that they had of like dividing up land was the hacienda system. So it's right. like all these different places, bits of land, which like have to be sort of looked after by these horse riding boys oh um so the original cowboys actually the mexican uh, vaquero who were like you know they'd look after livestock and ride around on yeah. their horses like you know like the cowboy does like a cowboy. and then this idea traveled into north uh, north america um when they would travel yeah. up north to do their rustling and stuff yeah and then as they went into the sort of like west and stuff uh, many native americans became vaqueros because oh 
It was kind of what they did anyway, you know? Yeah, but it's quite a sort of... I mean, that shouldn't be surprising, but like... No, no, it's a very... It, yeah. It is a little bit. Um, and then what we come to understand as, like, the American cowboy was the result of some kind of mingling of, like, the Spanish and English culture when vaqueros arrived, uh, were, were running through Texas, as were uh, English colonizers arriving in Texas yeah. in 1821. And they met, and it kind of creates this weird blend of, like, right. different cultures. So, therefore, like, cowboy society and the kind of ideas we have around them were, like, a combination of, like, weird frontier, like, middle of but nowhere and like victorian chivalry interesting hence like why we have that whole idea of them uh of cowboys having this kind of favor because they had elements of like victorian values and like very upright yeah but also like there was a sort of like uh individualism to their work because it was very like you know it's very isolated even if you're like traveling with people it's like isolating work yeah. So it becomes this whole like, kind of individualistic, kind of like self-dependent vibe that they have. Mm. The expansion of the cattle industry in the 1880s meant they needed like an open range mm. upon which to have their cows. Yeah. So Texan cattle were herded north, and it meant that the uh, Texan and Californian cattle herders met. And cowboy. And cowboy. And that's like... It was the kind of meeting of these groups, and then they have like the most useful elements of both bits, like equipment for oh. different weather. You know? So then that became like... Exactly. The cowboy. <laughs> cowboy. Yeah, the true cowboy era. <laughs> Get out of here with your fake cowboy shit. I don't want to hear about <laughs> oh, it. real cowboys only. So technically that lasted from 1865 until 1880, even though the cowboy didn't properly like die out as a thing until like the early 1900s. The cowboy, cowboys never die. Cowboys never say die. It was... They, they existed earlier, as I said, and they also existed beyond... The 1880s. Yeah. Um, but the main reason for this, like, for it being 1865, is like defined as the start, was because of the end of the Civil War. Yeah, that is when that ended. <laughs> that is when that ended. Yeah, thanks, I know. I know, I'm just <laughs> trying to contribute. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was like the displacement of like so many young men who fought in the war um, to the end of it, like from both sides, from the Union and the, and the Confederacy. They all travelled west because there was like no work anywhere. Yeah. And they didn't really know what to do. And also, another impact of the end of the Civil War was the, um, the freeing of enslaved African Americans. And you know, they had to go and find jobs, and they didn't really have anywhere else to go. Nowhere yeah, was very. They were nowhere really wanted to employ them. You know. Yeah. Um. And so, large numbers of them travelled west because it was a bit more tolerant. It wasn't like super tolerant, but it was a bit better yeah. than other places. You know. Uh, also, there were already a lot of um, Mexican and Native American vaqueros working in the kind of in the West, the Native American side of it. It's just like here's a little fun and by fun I mean horrible bit of history, which is there's an American policy in 1890 which promoted assimil- assimilation Uh-oh. amongst natives, even though you know they already lived there, um, which taught like ranching skills and stuff at their schools. Yeah. So I remember there were more of them became cowboys because okay. they were effectively trained to be cowboys. There aren't really any like firm percentages of the different like races of cowboys because they were a low social standing, so they didn't yeah. really take like census of them, but it's supposed that 15 to 25% were uh, African American, 15 to 30% were Mexican, but both were higher numbers in Texas because. Right. Because reasons. Texas used to be Mexico and the border crossed them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> this is a fun bit. Uh, the, for my gays out there. How um, which gays? is, I'm assuming everyone listening. Most, most. A good percentage of people listening. 
the all-male nature of the frontier, like even outside of the cowboy environment, that area, men really outnumbered women, meant that certain men were drawn to the, <laughs> the occupation. Wink. <laughs> kind of like in the Navy. <laughs> Wink. Wink. Um, so yeah, like in the Navy, it was, it was very common for there to be, you know, same-sex encounters. Yeah. You know, it was even like integral to the whole thing. Of, yeah. Like, that's just what they did. That is how it's done. Right? But the culture was very homophobic. Well, that's a shame. I know, but that, that happens. It's, it's like always the same in the Navy where it's like, yeah, you can do the gay stuff, but don't be being a gay. Yeah. It's like ancient Rome. Yeah, it's like, if you don't look them in the eye, then it's not gay. It's exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they were anti-sodomy laws across America, but they were like very selectively enforced in communities like this. Just like all that and... They it. just were like, there's no women here. Just do it. So here's where we get into the pop cultural element of it and the kind of cowboy myth that, that springs up. The so, legendary cowboy. <laughs> the legend of the cowboy. So beginning in the sort of late 19th century, um, I was just <laughs> trying to check if that was the right one because I'm an idiot. Wild West shows became uh, really popular. Ooh. They were like showcases which kind of like Went to show the li- like the lives of um cowboys and natives and like had all these kind of displays of like you like shooting and like rodeos right, and yeah. like a lot and a lot kind of acted out like little stories that like oh. were kind of not entirely true but like were usually kind of based on something yeah kind of legendary but like sometimes completely fictional. This is what like romanticized the cowboy. I'd want to romanticize. I want to romanticize a cowboy. <laughs> no, you um, heard me wrong. I said romanticize. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, and it kind of like made this idea of like the cowboy code, the chivalry thing. That's that's not something I've made up. That's what it's called. I remember the phrase cowboy code. Cowboy is so code. funny. But that's like you know it it, it popularised this idea, and they were usually very like sensationalised stories that yeah. like just a sensational cowboy. Sensational cowboy. Uh, their popularity was really well timed because it was literally a, 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 right at the time that film was being developed. Oh, and um, so. This kind of like overlap meant that there were like super super early cowboy films because they were like yeah. everyone loves cowboys, everyone's excited about films, cowboy films, cowboy films. Uh, the first and like standard, you know, like Wild West show, the prototypical one was uh, Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Bills Wild West, which is the one that went. Yeah, I've heard of that. Exactly, one. it was founded by uh, Buffalo Bill Cody in first, 1883. First name Buffalo, but, middle name Bill. Yeah. No, it's like a wrestler, except like the <laughs> names at the start. Well, that's what some wrestlers have. But it's Twinkles. Do you want to say? Oh yeah, Twinkle. Of course, yeah. <laughs> that's the only one I know. <laughs> I don't know many wrestlers. No. Buffalo Bills uh, toured annually from 1883 until 1915, which is pretty fucking cool. That's a long time. A long time. Um, the show featured wild animals, like reenactments of cowboy stories, or shooting exhibitions <laughs> and radios. They did a European tour in 1887 as part of the American exhibition. Uh, They came to England and it coincided with the Golden Jubilee of Queen Victoria. So they performed performed a private show to the royals. So Queen Victoria saw cowboys? She did. Well, not real cowboys. Like, like, she saw cowboys. She saw cowboys, yeah. (laughs) That's kind of wild to think about. (laughs) It's very cool. I love it. It's like when you think about different bits of history that overlap. Yeah, cowboys yeah. and Queen Victoria. Yeah, it's like point. when you think I was a cowboy in Dracula. <laughs> oh god, stop talking about him because I love him. <laughs> I'm obsessed with him. Obsessed with Quincy. Well, the shows were really popular in America, like and in Europe. In the 1880s, uh, Buffalo Bill toured Europe eight times. Eight times? Oh, I eight missed times. all of them. <laughs> I know. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I was born in the wrong era. 
And they performed at the Chicago World's Fair in front of about 18,000 people. It's pretty cool. Uh, but, but by 1894, uh, there was a lot of economic downturn and it made them less popular because people couldn't afford to go and see them and they lost a lot of money and declared bankruptcy in 1913. I would hate if I couldn't afford to see a cowboy. Mm. What's even the point of living? <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, like I said, the content of these shows is where most of the kind of cowboy stereotypes originate and they influence the films that came like a couple of years later. So it's why, literally from the very start of Western films, it's been this like idea of like the cowboy legend rather than the actual cowboy. Yeah. The true yeah, cowboy. The true cowboy. Only true cowboys can relate. <laughs> um, especially like the sensationalizing kind of thing of, um, of Native Americans as like the enemy of the cowboy, mm. right? the enduring kind of idea of like cowboys and Indians and stuff comes from these shows because oh, no. there wasn't really any animosity between the groups most of the time like they weren't super friendly but normally they would be like cowboys would pass through yeah like reserves and stuff and as we've seen and they'd like, be like fine and a lot of cowboys are natives exactly there's crossover there's a lot like, of crossover so it's like <coughs> it's very much a, a fabricated thing that like they just kind of want because they went oh we want to have it so that like there's fighting or whatever they want they want to have that yeah um, and cowboys can't fight each other. That's so sad to think of. So it makes me cry. The cowboy code. <laughs> the cowboy code. Uh, other stereotypes like the super super like skilled gunslinger. Hell yeah. Was like invented because they used it in showcases to display the talents of like the people who were in it, like Annie Oakley. Oh yeah. Which yeah. I watched one of the. I've, I've seen a video super, of her. Uh, yeah, I watched one of the super super early films. One of the like literally yeah. like, the earliest example, one of the earliest examples of films is, is um, clips from Wild West Show. Right. And I actually shooting. And it's yeah. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and the the cowboy code um was this is like where it's literally um it was um a creation of um Gene Autry, the singing cowboy. <laughs> the singing cowboy the singing cowboy. Oh my god. And it created that kind of very sanitized idea of like a patriotic and honourable cowboy. cowboy. A clean cowboy. A clean cowboy. A singing cowboy. Cowboy, you can really take home to the to the parents. That's only cowboy. Mm. What if you brought like a dirty, stinky man who was just eating beans to your parents? I don't think that'd be really. I don't. Cool. No, I don't think my parents would like that very much at all. <laughs> love is love, but love is love. Cowboy rights. Someone make a cowboy pride flag. I bet. I, they have. I think there's one for like MLC men loving cowboys. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all by that flag like a badge of love, baby. Exactly. Wear like a cape. So uh, I want to get onto like super. Like early film, like silent film, because this is where the, the cowboy thing really, really took off. Finally, we're at a film. Finally, we actually got here. It's only 20 minutes <laughs> in and we actually got to film. We're <laughs> in for a long one, boys. Um, so, like, in terms of super early film, like I said, there are some short clips from uh, 1894, which have the players of um, Buffalo Bills, like uh, Annie Oakley, Bill Martin, and Bill Cody himself. They're like 20 to 30 seconds long and they like demonstrate their skills, like shooting and horse riding. But, like, they're not really films. They would have been part of, like, a showcase. Yeah. Things put together. They're not narratives, so it's, like, dubious what you really consider them as yeah. films. The kind of first proper film western was um, The Great Train Robbery uh, of 1903. It's inspired by an 1896 play and potentially maybe a real robbery mm. uh, by Butch Cassidy in 1900. Oh, But it's, right. like, a kind of, again, it's, like, a legend thing where it's, like, did he actually do it or, mm. you know. Because it's weird to think that Butch Cassidy was around in the 20th century. It's weird. It's because, yeah. It's history what kind of. Yeah. But like, so it's considered to be the first American action film and the first Western with like recognisable form. Right. Because technically it was the second one because there was, um, yeah, the first Western was um, 
the British film uh, Kidnapping by Indians in 1999, but it's like two minutes long and it's not really narrative. So right. it's like debatable whether it can be classed as, you know, a film really. Mm. Like technically it is, but it's not, you know, it's not like narrative. But like um, The Great Train Robbery was uh, 12 minutes long. It's considered like a milestone in film history because it used like a load of advanced techniques. Right. You know, you've seen some of the Victorian films. Yeah. It's like they're all completely like still. Yeah. Usually there's like some kind of narrative, but yeah. it's very simple. The first ever close up was used on a kitten. Yeah, and it was worth and it. And it's one of the best films ever made. The best really peaked it was The Sick Kitten. The Sick Kitten. And yeah. Me and My Friends. And Me and My Friends. Which is a little just a, ba- a baby and a dog and a cat. It's beautiful. It's a two second one. It's great. Anyway, <laughs> the, re- the reason that the, uh, the Great Journal was so impressive was because it used these really amazing techniques that had like never been seen. So composite storylines. So they have a bit where um they, they show like the, the kind of villains tying this guy up. Right. Then we follow them and see their like exploits of trying to rob a train. Oh right. And then we cut back to the guy who has been tied up. And that is like, although it sounds very simple, having multiple kind of perspectives and events happening where you cut back to someone was like never because normally they were like a minute long and they were framed just completely still and on the action. Yeah. That's amazing. Like that's composite editing. It's really cool. Uh they did they shot like on location, like in um in like a desert. Wow. And there was like a lot of camera movement and stuff that was going. That's like, impressive. Very rare. It's like uh, yeah, I watched it. It's 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 cool. It it feels like it, it's a very classic kind of Western feel. It's like it's it's the origin of westerns. It's like it really sets a precedent. It's like it's got that kind of thing of like good and evil, and like the the triumph. There's a shootout that avoids every single horse in sight. Thank, Thank Christ. Christ. It's so funny because they're like shooting and just all the horses are just kind of standing there. It's great. <laughs> These horses are fine. These horses are fine. It's that kind of uh, the, the, the the train robbery thing, yeah. which is like used like in ev- like every single western afterwards, and like parodied and like cartoons and stuff. Yeah, it's so and it's it's it. really great. I love a train robbery. Yeah, we love it. There's a fourth wall break at the end as well. Really? One of the ca- it's like it's kind of it's outside of the narrative because the character that does it is like dead by that point. Like it's right at the end. But it's like the the bad guy points his gun at the camera and shoots, and like that's the last oh thing no, you see. Oh no, I got film. shot by an evil cowboy. cowboy. It's really, really <laughs> that's my greatest fear in life. So many more westerns followed in the silent era, obviously because it was already so popular. In 1913, 17 different uh, western films were released, and every year that number grew. Wow. And many had sequels. So there was a series called, uh, about Calamity Anne. Why? You know, they were like they were romantic. Oh. They were like romance westerns, which is a great little subgenre. That's a good subgenre. There were some that were serialized. So there was one called Lightning Bryce. Lightning Bryce. There were fifteen episodes of that at cinemas. Uh, John Ford began his directorial career in um nineteen seventeen with like two real little silent one called Tornado. He went on to direct sixty two different films, some were short, some were feature between nineteen seventeen and nineteen twenty eight. Wow, that's cool. Um, prolific, exactly. It's very clear to see the the cultural obsession with westerns from the beginning of the twentieth century. But what's like weird about it is that overlapped with the continued existence of the frontier. It's so strange to think about. So the popularity beginning with like World War shows was perpetuated through films because even though film was a new concept, the cowboy mythology was popular. So silent westerns were referred to as old myths in new packages. Ooh, this is usually like the stuff you know, except we've now put it on. Film, nice, know. yeah. It's it's an unfamiliar medium, but it's a very familiar thing. 
But like, yeah, historically it overlaps with the decline of the old West, so it's a really weird period of time because these like stereotypes and these fake ideas of how we exist when the real thing did. Did it all kill the old West? I don't know. I think you know it was dying anyway. Okay, the, the, the well, I was worried. Was, I'd no, rather have cowboys than dogs. <laughs> the old West was like dead anyway. It was just kind of hanging on by a thread. It wasn't really a thing that it wasn't like a viable thing anymore. Right. Like, in the nineteen twenties, um, most like you know remaining cowboys, um became film extras in westerns amazing because it paid so much better than doing like cattle drives and stuff. got a genuine cowboy on set today exactly but we will see because they were like there would be like bunches of them and they would be uh separated from the like talent like the fake cowboys and it really uh-huh. kind of like weird very lack of self-awareness kind of thing where it's like they would literally they'd be like don't you appreciate your cowboys. they'd have to like hang out there was this bar called like the watering hole i think Mm-hmm. And it was where they would wait for their casting calls, and they'd just kind of like be rowdy cowboys and like get into fights and stuff. And um, I think it was Tom Mix, who's like one of the cowboys I'll talk about later, would like go in and like shoot up the ceiling. <laughs> and it seemed kind of embarrassing because he was like a fake cowboy, and they were all like real ones. And he just comes in like yeah, they're like oh, bro, that's offensive, bro, you're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> but it's weird because it's like yeah, and it completely blurs the distinction between the two. It's like it's just it's just a really weird bit of history of it's like oh yeah, real cowboys and also fake cowboys existed. Yeah. I found this quote, and I don't really remember where it's from, I'm really sorry, because um, I'm bad at research, um, but it says, The Western may be the perfect vehicle for silent narrative films, since it values action over language. The Western hero is the possessor of physical strength, stamina, and an innate sense of the right thing to do. He rejects eloquence, refinement, and superior intelligence as standards of measure. Although the cowboy was present in silent westerns as early as 1904, most of the early films featured Indians and trappers as heroes. Wow. So the cowboy wasn't actually like a hero hero until like the silent era when films became serialised and like right. uh, marketed and stuff, you know? So now we're moving on to the meat of the matter, the golden age of the West. It must be good. It's called golden. Exactly. You'd think so. Although I'm like incorrect. <laughs> I don't know. It's... <laughs> It's going to be a contentious bit because I really don't like Golden Age Westerns. I find them very boring and just white men riding around on horses. Oh yeah. I can see that in real life. <laughs> exactly. I could just go to the countryside. So in this time, they become exponentially more popular. And the kind of uh, creation of like TV programming and stuff. There's a mm. lot of Western serialises so, and they're like a mainstay for like decades. To cut, like into like the 70s. Yeah. This is the era when most people think of you know about yeah. westerns because it is it's the most kind of standard it's when the most were released you know um and like there's directors like uh, john ford sergio leone robert aldrich and like the kind of the classic western stars of john wayne uh gregory peck clint eastwood like right. the, the ones who like you like clint eastwood and john wayne especially they're like he's a cowboy those are the two like, cowboys cowboy, yeah. like so why was it the golden age why was it the golden age i couldn't tell why are they so popular okay so obviously Westerns were popular anyway, but into the like nineteen forties, fifties, like Western fashion and style becomes really popular. Oh, so there's a lot of like ranch style homes and like decor, a lot of like clothing that's influenced by this kind of like wow. frontiery style. Civil War reenactment becomes a big thing because white men are bored on the weekends. Yeah, well, gotta got be Confederates because they're totally not actually Confederates. Got to give them a hobby because uh, Dungeons and Dragons doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Um, um, so Westerns TV series. Like no, not. no, it's just yeah, it's the it's if one thing leads to the other, you know, laughing. Yeah, um, Western TV serials mainly came about because um, they were trying to like find um, things that would be cheap to produce. And like mm. buy. So um 
it was really cheap to buy up like Western film series of the thirties and forties, right? Because they were like out of use for so like for, like a decade or whatever. And it was also really cheap to reduce them because once a studio had built a Western set, then you could just reuse it. It's just the same because it's just the same because it's just cowboy and all the structures were very like flimsy mm. and the props were cheap, so it was very cheap to like just recycle them for like every new thing. And then yeah, the cowboy craze is going. There's up to yeah. 140 Western films being released per year between 1940 and 1960, which is a fucking lot. That's so many. Yeah, so like I said, I'm not a super big fan of this era. They're very formulaic. It's all like a dude rides into town on a horse, slays all the natives <laughs> of the town. <laughs> Women love him, even though he's just kind of like a guy. And yeah, so what I'm going to do actually for this period is I'm going to go a little bit off script and I want to talk about spaghetti westerns because they are much more interesting and they do they still fall into the category of like very popular classic yeah. like epic westerns yeah like I I this is a genre I have heard of exactly <laughs> like they're slightly you know slightly different I feel like most people need to get to the epics you know that they were like set on a grand scale and they're usually set during like the civil war or something yeah you know that's all we need to say on that you know the bit, well, the bit where it gets kind of more interesting is when you see the influence of other genres yeah. on, on the period. So, like, most of the popular films at the time were remakes of Japanese films. The Magnificent Seven was based on um, Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. I can never say Akira Kurosawa. Akira Kurosawa. It's too many well, 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 well. <laughs> You know, it hurts my mouth. I can't talk anyway, so... <laughs> anyway, it was based on Seven Samurai. And A Fistful of Dollars was a re- remake of um, his Kurosawa's film, uh, Yojimbo. Which was itself inspired by an American novel called Red Harvest. Wow. <laughs> so this is like the relationship between the genres is very like symbiotic. Like they inspire each other. Yeah, and it and goes on I think that's beautiful. And there's a lot of ones that have come out not recently, but like you know in the nineties and stuff, which were Japanese remakes of westerns. Wow. Um. So like Kurosawa was a really big fan of John Ford and like the western genre. So spaghetti westerns. One little fact which is that in Japan they're called macaroni westerns. And I really like that because it's unnecessary to have a specific new name for them in Japan, it's but they do anyway. It's a different pasta. So this began as a, as a thing, you know, in the 1960s following the success of um, Sergio Leone's film. So like A Fistful of Dollars, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. They became popular because they were a little bit different than a standard western because they were more like morally grey. Nice. So like A Fistful of Dollars has the hero double cross two rival gangs in a town to try and make money mm. and it results in his punishment that eventual escape so it's like wow it's more like it's less of this kind of like classic like good boy cowboy it's like ah we know we're still rooting for him but yeah. he's definitely a bit shady you know mm. sketchy cowboy sketchy cowboy the ideas within this film were like very quickly copied by other other films because you know it was a popular idea uh, spaghetti westerns were usually like lower budget, shot in cheaper locations, and they had more action and violence than mainstream films. Right. So I like them more because I always, whenever <laughs> I, happens. whenever I've seen a western, I've always been like, why is there not that much action? It's like I'm yeah, always surprised. I'm always surprised. I always think that there's like going to be more action, and that's why like when we watched Blazing Saddles, that was what I expected a western to be like, <laughs> and it's like a a parody one, and that that really that's funny to me. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, and characters are usually kind of more selfishly motivated by like money or revenge, right? Or just like honor. Uh, also, so Italian filmmakers were kind of notorious at the time for like borrowing from other films without asking for permission. Uh oh, that's so not allowed. Sergio Leone received a letter from Akira Kurosawa after he like borrowed the plot of um, Yujimba, which congratulated him on making a very fine film. 
but it is my film. <laughs> and I get really him. like that. Get him! Because it's like, Kurosawa didn't mind. He was just like, yeah, I want to fuck with him a little bit. <laughs> Icon. Yeah. So the deconstruction of the Western genre um, by like spaghetti westerns, specifically by Sergio Leone and his films, with having like pathos and like much murkier morals rather mm. than like you know the morally clear and vaguely Christian. Oh no, kind of not a Christian cowboy. They're, like they're always a little bit Christian in like not 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 a super obvious way, but like and it, but it gave way to like that this whole wave of spaghetti westerns in, in the decades come as well as like offshoots of it later. These films are often credited as having like criticised or like demythologized the conventions of the traditional western. Mm. Like they show cowboys to be more viable and selfish. Yeah. As like, you know, they were. And it's it's partly intentional, like to try and kind of expose it, but it's partly a different cultural perspective because they yeah. haven't been party to this whole American craze for the cowboy. It's yeah. just like, ah, oh, cowboys are kind of dicks. It's crazy about the cowboy. Crazy about uh, so this, the, you know, this this sort of genre was, was popular for a while, but by the end of the it's the spaghetti genre, spaghetti genre, spaghetti westerns heyday, in like the late seventies, it had been sort of it had become basically just like lowbrow comedy and like scrapping, Ugh. you know, because it evolves. Oh, I remember my falling. Exactly. There's obviously there are some crossover between them and the epics and as well. So I want to talk about now the death. Of the traditional Western. Cowboys never die. Cowboys did die. No! <laughs> so, like, obviously they were super popular. And it's never been a genre that, like, has been unpopular, but it definitely, that you know that, like, there's a certain point where there are way fewer Westerns being released. Yeah. It's not a thing anymore. I mean, there's it's not a thing. There's always going to be fewer than 140. Well, yeah. exactly, yeah. It's a thing where, like, public interest kind of drops. Um, the dismantling of the studio system has something to do with it. You know, with the decline of like the wide release, very quickly. Yeah. Because making films becomes really expensive and slow. Yeah. And you have to kind of sell off a lot of the props and um, the sets like just deteriorate because of this use. It's really sad. That is sad. I'd hate to see like a decayed Western yeah. town, except for actually. Revisionist Westerns, which are more like, you know, gritty and a bit more authentic, kind of supplanted the epic as audiences really kind of got tired of cookie cutter films. This is like, you see this across genres, right? Yeah. People are bored of, like, the, the same standard thing that you saw across, like, yeah. you know, the Hayes Code and stuff, and just like, well, this is the exact same film yeah. as the one you made before. It's the same thing's happened more recently with, like, superhero films. Exactly. It's like, great, this is the same film that I watched last year and I spent yeah. 20 quid on. In the early 60s, lots of filmmakers wanted to challenge, like, traditional elements and encourage audiences to question, like, what the morality of revenge is and, like, mm. the hero-villain structure of classic films and present a more accurate image of the old west so like there was increasing increasingly positive representation of native americans well, like in nice. dances of wolves although that's still kind of like that's one everyone always cites but i have watched it and i did not enjoy it <laughs> it still has a good tribe and a bad tribe it's still oh, like okay. this tribe is all being peaceful but those ones over there they're savages and they're horrible so it's like is it really positive because it's like it's still saying it's still perpetuating this myth that like yeah there are violent and horrible Native Americans who like will scalp you and stuff, and it's still pretty yeah. gross in that way. But you know what? The main reason was for this decline. Well, we found a new frontier. The final frontier. The final frontier. Space baby. <laughs> we put cowboys in space. <laughs> we put cowboys in space. And that's like genuinely. It was a so if, or if you remember like my my definition of the western earlier. There's nothing in it that says you got to stay in the old west or anything like that. Holy pole. The versatility of this genre, man. 
as much as like I have my mixed feelings about it, it's the most versatile genre. Yeah, anything can be a weapon if you read it in a certain way. Exactly. It, it sets it aside from like you know any other genre, and it, yeah, you, you as long as you retain the, these key ideas within yeah. it, you can do whatever you want with it. So like the most popular variations are samurai and space western because like samurai fun is like colorful and goes back and forth. I don't want to go super into it now because it could be a thing we talk about. That would be an interesting one. Because I don't know more about them. Be an excuse like to. to watch some old Japanese films, which I would quite like to do. I know that's like your one ranky thing, is that you like love old Japanese films. Not that I've really seen many. No, but like you love, you and dad watch them. <laughs> like you watch them when they're on TV and stuff. It's very cute. Yeah, I mean, I've most most of my like Asian cinema has been like um, early 2000s Chinese like martial arts Yeah, films, and they're like, great. Which I do... Love. They're cool. I do love them guys be flying over the screen <laughs> yeah. for some reason. That's the best. the power of karate. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, yes, continue. Okay. So yeah, space westerns were arguably one of the reasons that the traditional western really declined like in the 70s. You know, space is man's final frontier. It's a very clear direction yeah. to follow from, you know, the frontier. It's like the lawlessness and desolation of space makes it very easy to put in these like kind of western archetypes in it. Yeah. So, like, more historically, early sci-fi pulp novels were usually stylistically influenced by westerns, like the cover art, yeah. and a lot of authors wrote in both genres. Yeah, I, there's a lot of crossover. I yeah. love, um, like, old pulp covers yeah, so much, amazing. and the sci-fi ones always have a touch of a cowboy They've about always them. got, like, a ray gun or something, and they're stood there, and they're, like, yeah. menacing. Yeah. So the decline of horror comics in the 1950s was really like the most popular ones. Yeah. You know, thanks to the Comics Code Authority. Like the Hayes, the Hayes Code, Code of Comics. comics. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> so that meant there was a resurgence in uh, the popularity of like, sci-fi and like, space western comics. And then the emergency, the emergence of series like uh, Lost in Space and Star Trek were a hit. And the western genre was reinvigorated for a bit with the release of films like Westworld. Because it adds like a little bit of a sci-fi flair yeah, to cowboys. a traditional genre, so that's where you can see that like ah, there was a bit of crossover, and then it just went space. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we go to space. We go to space, baby. By the eighties, westerns were pretty unprofitable. The director of um, Outland, Peter Hyam, said that she had run willing to finance a western, so he made a space western because wow. it was more appealing to them. That's really cool. People didn't want to see the same old shit anymore. They didn't want to. See, they wanted to, you know, take a step out. It's obviously it's probably like a cultural thing of time where we had the whole like. We did a space race and we were all like super into space. Yeah, now. we were in small we, things in space. We went to space. And that was pretty neat. Oh, that's this one. Before those darn commies did. <laughs> you know, the moon. The moon. The moon is American. The moon is American. So, obviously, the most popular space westerns are the Star Wars series, you know? Yeah. Because like, obviously, it's, it's no secret that they were influenced by samurai and Western yeah. films. And so the plots, the ideas of kind of morality and justice in them, and the characters in the film are very influenced by westerns. Like, Han Solo is like the gunslinging, heroic leading man. Yeah. He's a bit of an outlaw, he's a bit of a rogue. Yeah. And Boba Fett, like the bounty hunter after our main man. Oh no. He's no, very like traditional cowboy, like the canteen is like a saloon. Yeah. Very clearly. It's all very like, and it's all very more than that, like a very classic Western, you know? Yeah. There are many other subgenres of Western, and this is my favourite bit of research because there are some yeah. fucking wacky ones. I'm excited. They were a varying popularity and appeal, I will say that. Not all of them were hits. So. We've got the acid western, which is kind of it's kind of like a makeshift genre of the sixties and seventies because it wasn't quite, the term wasn't coined until after uh, the right. event. It, it was um, a term coined by Jonathan Rosenbaum, who's a film critic. These films incorporated elements of the traditional western with like nineteen sixties like 
counterculture nice. and like cap- critique of capitalism. Nice. So it was that, yeah, very like kind of punk, kind of weird, trippy. That sounds cool. Kind of genre. It, it's named because of its like hallucinogenic kind of thing, as well as the like artistic and political things of like sixties counterculture. It's known as being an inversion of the traditional Western. So rather than a journey west representing freedom, it's a journey through which society becomes worse. You know, oh. people weren't happy in the 60s. No. You know? So examples of this genre are um, Grease's Pilots, which I did watch. It is very surreal. <laughs> it's very weird. It's meant to be, it's about like the second coming of Christ in the West. Okay. It's very, it's like, I don't know. I like surrealism as much as the next guy. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, it's like, you've made it so surreal that I don't know what's happening. Oh, uh, yeah. That's you the, know? That's the, the trap. That's the trap. And um, there's a very experimental song called um, El Topo. Uh, they both use a lot of like Christian imagery. Interesting. Kind of less conventional actors, like they have a lot of like um, disabled actors in them, and like the plot lines are very kind of wavy. Mm. It's meant to be representing, you know, that that kind of feeling in the sixties of like, yeah, society is awful and I hate it. Yeah. Know? It's like it's valid. I just don't know if I super enjoy it. Mm. Um, the comedy western, the clues in the name, baby. It's, it's funny now. It's funny now. Westerns, but it's funny now. Like all parody genres, it's been around almost as long as actual Westerns. So there's like 1912 called The Bell of Barzi Ranch. It's like a very early example. There are other ones. Um, there's a Laurel and Hardy one called Way Out West, which is like a bunch of like parody. Basically, it was just a bunch of stereotypes about Westerns kind of throwing right. on as Laurel and Hardy kind of do. And uh, obviously Blazing Saddles. Yeah, but that, and that uses, classic. Exactly, and that uses the genre really well because it uses it critiques the format of the original yeah. the traditional Western uh, and the racism within it, as well as the racism of America in the 1970s. Yeah, it's very clever and I like it. Yeah. I like the film. That's, good a, film. that's a very popular opinion. <laughs> yeah, good. it's good. It's good. Uh, so there are contemporary, like neo-Westerns, you know, as uh, set in modern day America, usually using the same kind of structure, you know, the Western structure, like an anti hero, the desert landscapes, gunfights, but yeah. know, set in the modern era. It's been increasingly popular since the Coen Brothers uh, No Country for Old Men in 2007. Hi, Coens. Hi, Coens. How you doing? Put more black people in your films. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, so, like, much like in this example, they're usually in the American West and have characters who you would. Who would you would probably find in a traditional Western setting, but plonked into the modern day, right. a cowboy out of time. Exactly, like struggling to adjust to this new world that rejects their different values, such as racism. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's just even silly. Is that like a warthog? I'm, I'm, I'm. So apparently, the what I've seen is the three identifying themes of the neo Western are a lack of rules, rather they're guided by the character's own morals, like right. the regular one. Uh, characters searching for justice and remorse and consequences for a character's action, uh, connecting it more to like spaghetti westerns and stuff like yeah, the kind of thing. Of, like, yeah, there are consequences, you know. So there are other examples. There, are, there's more kind of classic. So it's like still neo western, but it's much more like western e. Is uh, Robert Rodriguez's uh, Mexico trilogy? Because I said like modern day, by modern day, I mean the nineties. Yeah, uh, Mexico. But they're very westerny. But there's also ones like um, Wind River. Which is like a pretty kind of like solid like modern like thriller. Yeah. But it's but it is a western. Yeah, it's western. Mm. It's cool. So there's the electric western, which is much less a genre than it is just two films. <laughs> Incredible. The nineteen seventy one film Zachariah was called as the first electric western, and it featured like contemporary rock bands in an old west setting. It's very very weird. That's pretty funny. It's loosely based on um, Siddhartha, like the Buddha thing. 
Okay. Uh, which, yeah, and it's really, really weird. It's very surreal. It's kind of very similar to like an acid western, except it's more like rock and roll. Cool. Um, 2017's uh, Hate Horses, which I couldn't find anywhere to watch because what? I just came up with that Polygon article about everyone hates my big stupid horse and read that online. <laughs> Like, which oh, is um, which is the finest example of modern journalism. Thank you. Um, anyway, that was described as the second electric western. <laughs> and um, I can always have to watch it. I really wanted to watch it. Um, Why have I heard of it? I don't know. I, I yeah, couldn't find it to watch anywhere. I couldn't like, buy it. I couldn't watch it online. It, I just want to read you the IMDb description because that's the best I can do. After discovering a mystical keyboard, a young burlesque singer teams up with a wounded bank robber and his neurotic hostage as they make their way to the big city with lawmen, bandits, bounty hunters, and angry ex-wives all in pursuit. God, I I want to watch this film! I want to find this. If someone find this for us, please. I can't. The Euro-Western. So, these were ones made in Western Europe. This kind of specificity of Western Europe becomes clear in a minute. Uh, so German-made westerns were a big thing. They nicknamed <coughs> sauerkraut westerns. Yeah. Because for some reason we really love calling things after the food of a place. Yeah. I really don't know where that came from, but you know. Uh, they were usually shot in Yugoslavia. Because I guess it was probably cheap to do it there. I don't yeah. really know. And uh, they were based on stories written by uh, German novelist Karl May. He wrote a lot of, like, kind of westerny ones. Yeah. But obviously without having the perspective of living in America. I'm pretty sure he pretended that he had actually I love America. that. Okay. I love that. <laughs> A popular, a popular franchise was um, the Winner 2, I hope I said that right, Winner 2 film series, which featured um, an Apache Native American as the hero. Wow. So this is a very clear thing in uh, European westerns, which is they usually feature Native Americans as the heroes, because Not. everyone hates America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there were lots of um, adaptations of it. It was a work by Paul May. There were lots of film adaptations of it. Yeah. So I'm just going to sort of do some of these in a chunk, which are a lot of different um, little... Uh, regional subgenres. So we got the chili western, which is like Mexican, and it's been a, it's been a solid kind of mainstay of Mexican cinema since the nineteen thirties. Right. They often featured musical stars for some reason. Incredible. Love that. In the beginning, they were usually about ranches in rural Mexico, which is very different from the like Hollywood cowboy meta narrative. But in the fifties and sixties, they became much more kind of difficult to distinguish. You know. Mm. Example again is the Robert Rodriguez films, like they're very rooted in this um, as well. And like the early examples, like the 50s and 60s, were The Bandits of Cold River and What's My Needles. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> no translation needed. No translation needed. Uh, Greek westerns were, in a, were also known as Fasolada westerns, which is a bean soup, the national dish of Greece. <laughs> bean soup western. Bean soup. And they're, they're very few and far between. There's one, um, Blood on the Land, which came out in 1966 and was for Best Foreign Language Film by the Academy. Nice. As we need to unplug find. Uh, ramen Westerns. The Japanese Westerns. <laughs> I hate these naming conventions so much. Yeah, I hate them. The Japanese Westerns. No, not samurai martial arts. Just Western films set in Asia. Yeah. Uh, the film was first used in the publicity for the film Tampopo in um, 1985. And has since described uh, The Good, The Bad and The Weird, <laughs> which is one of those things where it's like, that's the main example of like, yeah. you've influenced, Japanese film influences a Western and then a Western influences a Japanese film. Yeah. It's very weird and so cool. And there's one called Sukiyaki Western Django, which I just really like the cadence. <laughs> That's lovely. That's lovely. Um, and it's like they're, they're, those two are like clear and more like genre pieces and like kind of parody-ish. Mm. Uh, the Snow Western is a very specific subgenre. It's just a normal Western, but it's just set in the winter. Cool. So that's like The Hateful Eight. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, North Westerns. 
very clever name, uh, set in Canada or Alaska. Like, Can- uh, Canada Cowboys. Canada Cowboys. Canadian Cowboys. Which is more planned. I was going to try to say yeehaw in a Canadian accent, but I remember I can't do a Canadian yeah, accent. I could try, but it was bad. The Florida Western. Oh my god. Which I love because there is a, I found one example of it. The boy is in a genre. They're also known as Cracker Western. Okay. And I don't know if that's Floridians love crackers or if they are a bunch of crackers. <laughs> I don't know. It's a very small genre. It's like it, they have to be set in Florida during the Second Seminole War. I don't know what that is. A war in Florida. Okay, I'll, go- I'll Google that after. So Distant Drums is the film that was named for that. Uh, fantasy Westerns. And funnily enough, that's a combination of fantasy and western settings and names. Nice. Would you know? That sounds fun. They're usually more like fantasy with bits of western rather cool. than western in a fantasy. So like that's like the Dark Tower. I see yeah. There are limited other like films in this thing, and they're usually like literary. Yeah. Know, it translates better to, to writing. Yeah. So the horror western. There are varying mm. like combinations, like percentages of the genres. Like some are straight westerns that are scary. Some are horrors that have western themes to them, you know? Yeah. So, like, there are very early examples of there is uh, Billy the Kid versus Dracula, which I've always seen more than any film. Oh my god! <laughs> and, um, Curse of the Undead. So they're very much, like... They're just, they're very, like, horror western. Yeah, yeah, I guess Billy the Kid versus Dracula That's... would be a horror western. I mean, there's a cowboy and a horror. Yeah, exactly. They, these have generally evolved in the modern times to be, like, horror films following a western structure. So there's Near Dark, which is yeah. Uh, from Dust Till Dawn, which is a film I don't like. I also don't like it. Okay, Walks Home Alone at night. Are those, all, like vamp- do like. Are those all vampires? They're all vampires, I think. I think it, it translates the best to like, oh. the Western thing. It's all very, like, you know, yeah. and, like, yeah. I am also I do love um, in the vein of horror westerns. I'm reminded of the tabletop RPG Deadlands, which is oh, nice. a horror western as well. Yeah. So, uh, Bone Tomahawk, which came out in 2015, I think, is a more kind of like, again, like the kind of more straightforward, like, it's a spooky western. It wasn't a huge success. I watched it. It was like okay. Kurt Russell was in it. Kurt Russell was in it. I only saw a little bit of it, but damn, he's aged well. He's aged so well. He kept all his hair. I know. I'm impressed. So uh, there's the martial arts western, which tend to be on the more kind of like low budget, lower quality end of things. Um, there's one called Shanghai Noon, which had Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson in it. Oh my god! Incredible. It's a sub sub genre. <laughs> Which is westerns, but based around ninjas and samurai. No, no actual samurai. This is so confusing. Just bits, just elements of I it. I'm expecting this to be so. There's one called Red Sun. That's yeah. I just thought about the need to mention that. So there's the Australian western or the meat pie western, <laughs> which I hate because it's kind of like a food. I hate... What's the most off-putting name for a genre? I hate thing? the food it naming convention so much. It sucks. So from what I can tell, meat pie was like. The older name for them, like obviously yeah. not anything we do anymore. We don't really tend to name things like that anymore. But it was just following the naming convention. It was a bit. It, they they tend to be a little bit more derogatory towards the quality of the film right. if you like name them after the food. Yeah. But now it's just you know, not really lesson. Nineteen oh six, the story of the Kelly Gang was possibly the first ever feature film. Yeah, I, I and heard of follows that. a gang of bush rangers who are like escaped convicts and outlaws. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Australian history. I would like to do that. Yeah. So this genre really dominated early Australian cinema because why not? Because it's mm. a very big part of their like history. Um, yeah. And it usually it very much follows the traditional Western. It's just set in Australia. It's just got the expected cultural differences. Like they had a lot like Aboriginal Australians in place of um, Native Americans. 
and uh, they have since explored themes of colonial exploitation, corruption, and vigilante justice. Nice. A key example is 2017's Sweet Country, which is about an Aboriginal man going on the run after telling a white man in self-defence. I really like the Australian Western because it really shows the versatility of the Western genre because it is inarguably the same genre. Like You see it and you know it's a Western. It's got the same structure. But it allows such specific cultural and societal issues of the yeah. setting to be part of it, for it like to make it that identity and it's yeah. really great. Also the Mad Max films incorporate Western elements because it's like the dystopian wilderness yeah. of Australia. Uh the weird Western <laughs> which is like a broader subgenre and it effectively just means fantasy, sci-fi, magical, occult, whatever you want to I love that incorporate. So, much. so like the Wild Wild West blended steampunk with the West it's a really I bad desperately want to watch it. No, but it's really bad. It's like it's like a comedy one, but it's like awful. <laughs> Um, and Western Religion from 2015 has the devil in it. Nice. And I want to watch that because the devil went down to Georgia, did you hear? He did go down to Georgia. So, again, I I feel like I'm going to be notorious in the forecast for never looking up how to pronounce things because I think I know how to pronounce it and then I get to it and I don't. Yeah. So I'm going to say they're called Dacoit Westerns. Yeah. These are Bollywood takes on Westerns. It's, it's um, named for a type of Indian bandit, so it's wow. like a very clear kind of cultural thing of like, yeah, no, it, no, no. it's about India, but it's set like a Western. Yeah. The 1970 film, uh, 1975 film Cholet, about two criminals tasked with hunting down a robber for all, a reward, was referred to as a curry Western. <laughs> Lovely. Mm-hmm. Though it and the genre at large became known more accurately as the Dakota Western because it combines the conventions of the already existing films about um these like bandits and stuff and those the spaghetti western nice so it's like that's very cool very much the indian version of the spaghetti western a new genre developed on the in the 70s from these like there had been indian made westerns before but they'd all been based on like classic american ones but these ones the quick ones were the indian identity yeah and like setting and stuff but like a western the malaya lamb film oh I've done it again. The Thajraram, I'm going to say Thajraram, from 1990, most closely resembles the spaghetti western in style and production. Uh, the genre's had like little success in the 21st century, which is kind of sad. Yeah, that's a shame. There was a couple, there was a couple that were like pretty quick, critically acclaimed, but like didn't do so well. Aww. So this is going to make it make sense for why I was talking about Western Europe, because here we have the Austin or the Red Western. Is it commies? It's commies, baby. These are Western style films produced in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. A particular favourite of one, Joseph Stalin. <laughs> I just like, call me far too many times in this episode. This, this is not even about the Cold War. We've got two left. We've got two uses of it left. <laughs> uh, so these films usually portrayed Native Americans very sympathetically as like stand-ins for the Slavic people. Right. Oppressed people fighting for their rights against these horrible American capitalists. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> they frequently featured our Romani or Turkic people in these roles because obviously they don't really have many Native American people living yeah. in Eastern Europe. Hey, at least it wasn't white people. Yeah, exactly. So you take what you can get. Goshko Mitic, um, I can pronounce that because I don't know how to pronounce Slavic name, <laughs> <laughs> uh, portrayed uh, Native American chiefs in a lot of films. So there's one called uh, The Zona de Grossen Bayerfen um, and became, see, so yeah, I can do the German ones, <laughs> and became uh, an honorary chief of the Sioux tribe when he visited the USA in the 90s. Oh, that's lovely. He showed them one of his films and they were like, hell yeah, that's amazing. Oh. Uh, so Austin's would replace the Wild West setting with an Eastern setting, usually the Plains Caucasus, because it had a very similar look, just wow. a little bit more grassy um, to the West. 
and they had this the, the stock western characters of like cowboy indians where damsel's dress were replaced with caucasian stock characters like bandits and harems and other things as zombies and white son of the desert and i left that one to last because it's my favorite one so oh. i just really like i just really like that that's the genre yeah. I lo- and i love that it's called austin's yeah. i really love that so i'm going to talk briefly about um like icons of western because that's a big thing about western series is like the cowboys yeah when you would like watch a film it would be like the cowboy you know yeah especially really early ones so in the silent era we had tom mix who i've mentioned before he was a real cowboy hired on location and became a western actor and director a real cowboy he's a real cowboy but like he became you know not a real a fake cowboy, cowboy. <laughs> he was the original like cowboy hero stereotype and like it was very much a thing in the silent era where like you as an actor were the character that yes. you were. You had to be seen as that, like, that's... If you always played a cowboy, you couldn't go out wearing, like, a dinner jacket. You yeah. had to go out dressed like a cowboy or people would be like, what the hell's happening? Yeah. He always dressed like he was in a Wild West show. He wore ten-gallon hats, silver buckles, so much fringe. That's how you want to dress. That's how I want to dress, actually, yeah. He was known for recounting tales of his life as a cowboy and, like, capturing owls. <laughs> He'd always go on about it. He sounds like a legend. Yeah. He said that... Mm-hmm. They're here for the entertainment, so I'll give them a reel out of one of my pictures. <laughs> I was appalling, and I'm really sorry. It was okay. Yeah, uh, despite his past, Mix had no real desire to like put the real West on screen. He like preferred the mythos and like the fantastical Probably elements. Comforting if you were a real cowboy. Exactly, you wouldn't necessarily want to return to like the grotty shit that you'd done. Yeah. Uh, so I killed a lot of men. Killed a lot of men back here. G. M. Anderson or Bronco Billy. <laughs> is typically credited with the creation of the traditional cowboy hero in the silent film. The good bad man. What does that I saw mean? It written. That's like um, a <laughs> Hideo Kojima character. It, no, that sounds exactly like a Hideo Kojima It sounds like a Hideo Kojima this is, this is the game of us. Good bad man. This, this is the game, game of us. See, we told you gamers, we got you. <laughs> it's a kiss for my gamers. Yeah. Uh, it's a gamer. <laughs> you wouldn't kiss a gamer. Yes, I would. Oh, so this kind of like character after that first was in his 1908 film Bronco Billy and the Baby, in which baby. the character, yeah, baby, a, a character, his character discovers uh, an injured little baby, returns it to its parents, who introduce him to the Bible, well, and reform him, but he can't stay because of his wild nature. He's like a wild horse, you gotta let him roam free. So he returns to solitude in the wilderness because he's just a he's, a, he's a wild man. Yeah, this established like most of the like, stereotypes. That's so funny. It's a cowboy hero. I love it. So the golden era western is kind of followed with this like cult of personality for the heroes. Like most actors who portrayed cowboys, like Clint Eastwood and John Wayne, would only do mm. those roles or were only known for them. Because like Clint Eastwood's done like a direct and acting in a lot of other films, but he's yeah. known as the cowboy man. He's the cowman. Um, into this era, though, there was much less kind of like hullabaloo about like specific individuals. Yeah, like, it wasn't the same thing where like you had to always be this character. Yeah, in public or people wouldn't watch your films. You know, there's less crossover into the real world stuff like that. It just becomes a thing. You 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 understand actors more as they are yeah. an actual person. Yeah. So this is a bit this is a bit where we're getting into the more kind of interesting stuff because it's about things that I've noticed in uh, westerns, which is the portrayal of uh, women and minorities. Uh oh, it's never great. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, yeah. So the classic western is like notorious, but great attitude towards Native Americans. Mm. You know, they're usually like the major threat to our cowboys. And they're like usually shown as pretty inhuman, yeah, savages, quite horrible. So what I want to bring up is the fact that we so we've had the revisionist western, and a large part of that was meant to be like we are showing it more accurately. We are showing Native Americans 
is a better kind of, you know, in a better light. Yeah. So as you imagine, Darcy Rules is one about Geronimo. Yeah, like, even if it's not entirely accurate, it's nicer. It's nicer, yeah. But a lot of ones that came out around this time and have come out since, like, in the modern times, still super lack in this area. Mm. Especially in more recent years, they seem to have kind of reverted back to these, like, problematic it's tropes such of the Golden shame. Age. And it really, it's really weird, because I think it's that... So the Western's obviously been on decline. It, it's much less of a thing nowadays. So I think yeah. what they're trying to do is be like, uh, catch your attention by being like a very classic Western. Yeah. And that includes being racist. <laughs> yeah, which so is like a, the part of a Western you, you want to keep. Mm. So like, so Bone Tomahawk is an example of this, right? Because I watched this film and I was kind of, I was like, it's, a, it's an okay film. It's like, I, I was kind of enjoying it. It It's really bad for this though. It The antagonists are like a tribe of like cannibalistic, like savage basically non-human Native Americans who kidnap a woman for some reason from like a town that's kind of really far away from their, where their tribe is. So I don't know just why they do that. illogical. No, I think it's because they, they kidnap a guy who like wronged them and they also take the woman as well and I don't really know why. Anyway. Okay. It is a really, really, really bad portrayal of Native Americans. It yeah. came out in 2015 and it's like, it hurts. So I was really shocked because what I thought was going to happen, I told you about this, yeah. I thought there was going to be like a twist. Which would subvert this kind of obvious pandering to a ho- hopefully dead stereotype, you know? Yeah. It was billed as a horror western, so I thought maybe this could be a little bit supernatural. Yeah. So I'm just gonna say spoilers here. The inciting incident is two outlaws disrespecting the tribe's burial ground. Yeah. So I thought, ah, maybe it's gonna be something kind of supernatural, like some kind of spirit who's gonna come and try and come after them, or like a bogeyman or a wendigo or something. Yeah. I thought it was gonna be something like that. Uh, as far as I'm only kind of the tribe, um, it's obviously not going to be that. But so the way that you sort of the first time you see them, they're making these like really like improbable noises, like these really like yeah. animal, like they screech, and you find out like, they've got these these things in their necks that make them like screech, hmm. but like they're in their necks. So I'm like, yeah. so I thought, oh cool, they're aliens or something. Yeah, they're something non-human. Yeah, and that would be cool. No, yeah. no, they're not. You just need to make a film where. It kind of does that, but it does subvert yeah. it. And it is Thanks, an yeah. alien or a ghost or a monster or something. Yeah, that would be cool. But yeah, it was like, I was fully expecting that because it would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. But no, they're just kind of dicks. They just <laughs> eat people and perpetuate really bad stereotypes, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of what they do. That's a shame. So another thing I want to say is the complete lack of any kind of minority representation in any film that isn't overtly about cowboys and Native Americans. Yeah. In whatever way, like it, whether it's in a revisionist one, whatever. Yeah. The lack of them that aren't that are in the lack of them in films that aren't specifically about look, yeah. we're being nice to Native Americans. So my main piece of evidence for this, <clears throat> and I'm really sorry to the Cohen brothers, but I'm not, <laughs> is their films. Because I'm mainly going off this because everyone's I've seen the most of their yeah. lessons. They've done a lot of them, we've seen a lot of them. Their films are like really white, which is weird because you know revisionist westerns meant to kind of like not do that. Yeah, but no. So in True Grit, there are two black characters. One escorts the main character in the beginning of the film and is in it for about a minute, and then one is a stable boy who's in it for two minutes. Cool. They're both characters that serve. You yeah. know, it's like so. This leads on to like the the major discussion I wanted to have, which is. Prominent in westerns, it exists in films at large. Yeah, that was you know specifically in West- westerns today. You can represent one minority well, but you have to betray another. We talked yeah. about this. We did talk about in this. the trans episode about like, oh, you can be homophobic if you're being nice to trans people, or the other way around. Yeah. So in this, it's like you can't 
be nice to both people of colour and women. You have to make it clear that you're back in one. Yeah. So, like, True Grit has, like, no black on eight characters. And the thing that is make, sort of sets it apart is that it's it's got a different perspective from the traditional, like, white dude protagonist. Mm. Because it's a 14-year-old girl yeah. who was trying to avenge her father's death. Which is a cool fucking concept, especially yeah. for a Western where normally women kind of don't do anything. Yeah. Um, and have, like, little motivation, you know. But why can we only have this representation at the expense of people of colour? Yeah, you that's, know, that's a, such a shame. It's like. really, it's really annoying. Cause you can, you can have both. Yeah, I'll give a different example of like the opposite side. Uh, Sweet Country is an Australian western about an Aboriginal man who feels like man self defence. I said uh, he goes on the run with his wife. So uh, it's a great concept in terms of like the yeah. perspective and like, and it's set in a place we don't normally see represented. Yeah, and, like you know, this kind of wilderness of Australia, but from the perspective of someone who is not just a white dude. Yeah. The issue with it is that there are three female characters in it, right? Uh, one, two, don't speak oh, no. at all. And one of them is the wife of, of the main character, only really exists to incite the like actions of his her husband. So okay. she doesn't really have agency. She just kind of like has things happen to her. She's raped, which Oof. basically is only in the film to set up tension between her husband and the rapist. Because um, he's the one that the husband kills. Yeah. Not for that, but maybe for that. It's like really weird, but it's, it's basically so like... It's so weird that it wasn't explicitly for that reason. Yeah, no, it doesn't become clear for a very long time what the relevance of it was, and that's an issue I have with it. That's like a whole other thing. But it's that like, it doesn't seem to be relevant at all until right at the end. And then I'm like, I feel like that was too long of you making me just think about, why was this unnecessary rape scene in a film? Yeah. But yeah, so she, and she follows her husband on the run, just kind of like... Because, I mean, I understand that, but, like, she doesn't really do anything. All she does is insult her husband and say that he's not a real man. And he raises a fist to her. Which a real man would never Which a real be. man would not be, no. Boys, boys, don't do that. <laughs> and she's nearly kidnapped by some other Aboriginal folk, but her husband kills them. And she's cool. safe. And it has no bearing on the plot. <laughs> it, it just, it's really, it's a really annoying thing for me. It just really gets me. There seems to be, like, you have to have some kind of trade-off in films. Mm. Where... You know, you de- you get to pick one group that you depict sympathetically and accurately, and the other, the rest can go fuck themselves. Yeah. As I as I um, said when we were just discussing this before, I've also seen examples where it's like women always have it worse than men, and class has no bearing yeah, yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I think, isn't it? Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Right. So I want to talk about the sort of um the lasting impact of the Western on, on society and film, and you know we like to do a little roundup here. Yeah. So. Despite the fact that the you know the golden age was only a couple of decades, the western has had a massive effect on society. Like, although cowboy westerns are very much less common nowadays, most of the ones that come out full up like fuck like um, the Lone Ranger. Everyone hates that film. Yeah. Right, so, lost Disney a lot of money. Sorry, sucks to be you. <laughs> <laughs> the the western lives on in films that we wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah. Seen in, in like the heroes that everyone loves, like. A lower man striding this town to fix their problems. Love the wanderer stumbling into trouble wherever he turns. The morally grey outlaw and the run saves hide. They all still exist, but in films that we wouldn't necessarily think of, like films that wouldn't fall into the categories that I said before, even yeah. ones that are like western subversions. They're just films that aren't westerns. Yeah, but they have these elements in them. It's been argued that like noir leads, like Humphrey Bogart's characters in Casablanca and Tavern, have not have a lot in common with the Western heroes. I can see that they're bound by codes of honor. You know? Yeah, uh, films like The Big Lebowski uh, and Midnight Cowboy pluck Western stereotypes in their original environment, like uh, Sam Elliott. 
is in uh, Big Lebowski, and he's basically just a cowboy propping up a bar. I didn't know Sam Elliott was in that flick. Damn. And yeah, Midnight Cowboy, the main character, is like a southern boy who moves north. Yeah. And there are things where it's like, it's that same thing where it's like, it, you take these stereotypes out of their environment and see what happens to them. Yeah. And it pays homage to the, to the genre and how it parodies it. And I think this is what appeals to us about the Western and it's what I like about it. It's the versatility of everything, like the themes, the characters, even the setting. You can do it across different time periods, different cultures and countries, and it makes it like universally really loved. Yeah. The vast and like unforgiving West is a really good landscape that you can put the film you want to make onto. Yeah. Like it can be like such a place can be found anywhere in the world. Everywhere in the world there is some horrible expanse of land. Yeah. Where where you don't know what's happening. And the character archetypes can be really easily translated how you want it to. And and the simple structure yeah. of what makes a Western like it makes them like a perfect vehicle for whatever you want to put in it, like the character relationships, cultural backdrop, social issue. Do you want to show the tale of a modern day Christ figure? Yeah. Do you want to do a political drama? Yeah. Do you want to show Australian history? Yeah. Do you want to have some mutant superheroes? Yeah. To turn it into galactic bullshit? Absolutely. You can do this so easily. You basically you just have like the Western format as like a Mad Lib, <laughs> and you just put the bits that you want into it. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's cool. So it's me now. May I ask if some films are westerns? Oh god. This is my segment because I haven't seen many westerns. What's it called? It's What's called the segment is called Are They Western? Are they Western? Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so normally it would this would be the point where it's like, Elliot's talked enough. It's Johnny's time, baby, yeah. but Elliot's gonna do a lot but more. I'm gonna do more talking, it's just because you don't know a lot about Westerns. Okay. I've been researching this for two months. Yeah. Okay, so we've kind of two of the ones on my list are Star Wars films, especially Rogue One. Yeah, Rogue One is absolutely yeah, we've talked already it's about a how very, Star Wars is a Oh, it's a super kind of classic, yeah. But it's a, it's a very, like, um, action-based one. Mm. You know? It's like... It's not quite like... It's, it's, it's the outlaws. Yeah. They're a bunch of outlaws, but kind of going for the greater good, you know? Yeah. Um, we've also talked a little bit about the Lebowski. Yeah, that's like that's not like entirely a western. It's like it's it's definitely got western elements. Like the characters are very westerny. Mm. Um, a lot of it is kind of it's kind of it's quite like um, noir like in the plot because it's very yeah. like this like caper of like oh my god someone's like you know, like that. So yeah, it's definitely super got uh, western elements. Hey, is uh, Hot Fuzz a western? Hot Fuzz is absolutely a western because it's the Marshall story because he's a lawman. He strides yeah. into this little town and it's like, huh, what do I do? I need to solve the problems here. Yeah. And he does. And then he also does ride on a big white He does ride on a big it's, obvious, it's obviously meant to be like a Western. Yeah. Because yeah, Edgar Wright loves doing them little genres. He does love it. He loves genres. He loves genre things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, it's got a cowboy in it. But is Toy Story a Western? Ooh. I think it might be. Because again, it's that thing of like, it's a lawman, the... The you know the landscape on which they live in is effectively their wild west, especially yeah. in like Toy Story two when he like you know whenever they leave the like yeah. the Andy's room, it's like this whole wilderness and that, and it's it's the and it's the tension between the characters of like well I'm the sheriff, well I'm the sheriff, like yeah. that kind of thing, and these kind of like band of followers that he has yeah. and stuff. It's very western. And yeah. the bit when they're on the like um, moving truck can be very easily be uh, a yeah. wagon. You no, know? it's that that's that's it's a bit it's really westerny. Yeah. Um, are the Guardians of the Galaxy's films Western? Well, that's actually a really good one. 
I mean, yeah, they super do have those elements. They're a bunch of outlaws doing their shit. They got like they they kind of have the pew pew guns and stuff. Yeah, it's very like yeah, a bunch of like a ragtag group of little outlaws, but against a greater evil. Yeah, I think it super does have Western elements. Yeah, and I'm especially proud in the, of that. <laughs> I think in the way yeah, it's really good in the way that they're introduced as well is very like that. It's like look at all these people doing their annoy things. Yeah, doing their little crimes. Exactly. Hey. Again, it's called Cowboy in it. It was Bill and Ted's excellent adventure oh my western. God. <laughs> you just wanted to talk about Bill and Ted again. I don't think it is. I think that you just saw a cowboy in it and you got excited. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. We, we will talk about it more at some point because I love that film. Hey, Scooby Doo, you want to unleash the western? Prove your reasoning. Frankly. Oh god, to be fair, like they are like kind of lawmen, you know? Yeah, except for being challenged Spookums. by Yes, yeah, spooky lawmen. Like, it's not, it's not baseless. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, that made me die. Yeah, so last of all, the cinematic masterpiece that is Polygon.com's preparing for Big Boy Season in Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, is preparing for Big Boy Season in Red Dead Redemption 2? Oh, oh, Western. Because I kind of think it belongs the Western structure. I think it might be. It's definitely like the challenges, you know? There's so much plot in that like 10 minute video about trying to make Arthur from Red Dead 2 overweight. What I might ask you is is it a revenge story? Because they're definitely they're aiming for something. Yeah. They've got something like that they just need to get. Yeah. I hate you. I just That's wanted so to funny. invoke Patrick Gill on this podcast. <laughs> just, this we, is the game that happens exactly. like. Maybe if we say his name enough times, I can come on the podcast. You can't. Come on, man. Right, sorry, I'm just trying to find my next little segment. <laughs> I've only got a little I'm left. sorry for being just incorrigible. Very funny. Okay. <laughs> it was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> so, I just want to talk a little bit about the modern era of Westerns and what the future holds for us, you know, in terms of cowboys. So yeah. it's considered largely that the that most modern westerns are like dead. Like it's not really a thing anymore. Yeah. You know, like the ones like there's like cowboys and aliens and like Lone Ranger came out. They're all pretty shit. Cowboys and aliens. Yeah. I was reminded of that film's existence like a couple of days ago and it really made me laugh. Yeah. And like Bones All Haunted really bad. Like a lot of them have done really badly. Mm. Or like they critically are not enjoyed. Yeah. So there, I read an article in The Atlantic uh, by Michael Agresta, who claimed that as American identity has gone from like that kind of like you know the little the little skinny kid who's like gaining power, like, you know, like, like before like World War One, yeah, at the start of his first exactly. Book. Like pre World War One, they were like an outsider who were like kind of getting in on and stuff to like this like bloated superpower and like guilt ridden, you know, yeah. horrible shit. Americans don't really want to see their identity reflected anymore, and yeah. that's what the Western does best. Yeah, the Western has always been a really, really a vehicle for what's happening at the time. Mm. What, like the, the change has undergone by it, like it become bleaker and more amoral as American yeah. you know, lawmaking did, and it held, held up a mirror that no one really wants to look into. Yeah, it's part of the mirror. There are a few sort of periods where the Western became more popular again, like during the Reagan administration, when everyone was like, Uh-oh. Yeah, America! We love America! Uh oh, it's Ronald Reagan. But the events of the Cold War like gave gave way to like a more gentle kind of cowboy. Like, oh, like in Dance of the Wolves, Kevin Costner is like a very like 
gentle cowboy. I you love know? a tender cowboy. We do love it. Tenderize that cowboy. Yeah. Uh, the article goes on to note that the uncertainty of a unifying American identity in like the 2010s, yeah, like the uh, Obama kind of administration, resulted in like a lot of really half-hearted westerns that attempted to completely avoid social issues and try and reclaim. Oh no! So apparently, cowboys and aliens, they kind of try and be like. <clears throat> Race isn't a thing in this. We don't have to worry. We're nice. We're nice. We're heroes. We're, no. we're just not going to talk about Native Americans at all. Aggressive <laughs> does note that like we've seen better westerns in the past decades abroad, but they were ones with like a fresher perspective. So like Django Unchained was like a black yeah. character at center, and True Grit did that with a female perspective, and they've been the ones yeah. that have been a bit you know what's, you know what's the ones that have survived. You know what that's a good recent western? The Sisters Brothers. The Sisters Brothers. <laughs> we watched. We yeah, watched it too recently for me to have like written a segment on it. Yeah. But, um, it was really good. It was very good because, it, yeah, it felt, yeah, it felt, different. it was fresh and it was beautiful to look at. It was lovely because it was very fun. And not just because it had Jake Gyllenhaal in it, even though it was also very beautiful to look at. Yeah. So I also read a different article by uh, Emily Cuban, Cuban Connect. I don't know. I'm so sorry, Emily. I don't know how to pronounce your surname. Uh, but it was on Film School Rejects, which we love Film School Rejects. It's great. But it says why the Western could still have life in it. Yeah. And I really like it. I'm just citing these because I'm always really bad at citing things and I'm like, I've basically taken all Cite of what she sources. says. Yeah. So the Western has always been a nostalgia vehicle as well as it has been like a modern reflection. Yeah. It basically creates its own like revisionist history of the era. Like, you know, people people have misconceptions about the cowboy era because yeah. of the films. And it depicts, it makes people believe in the existence of these code-bound or wandering heroes. In a time like and this has always been very appealing to audiences. Yeah. But and they and they also act as a very good like little time capsule of the morals and values of the time they were made in, rather than when they were set. Yeah. So you watch a fifties one and you're like, ah, very fifties morals. Yeah. Very, these are Christian. Very cowboys. Christian, very upright, very lovely. And you watch one in like the seventies and it's very like everything is awesome and I hate the world and war is hell. Oh, we're gonna you say know? there's a war happening. Exactly. Um so in the twenty first century they being more and more used as a tool for progression, using like the long-standing cliches and myths about the West that's so prevalent, and also to try and create a more truthful story, using these falsehoods to expose people that their idea of like a better time back mm. in the day wasn't really a better time. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Sheridan, who's the director of Power High Water, which is a neo-Western, said, the Holy Grail is putting ideas into a movie that also entertains. The Western allows you to put sugar on the capsule to make the ideas go down easy. Oh. Because it's a familiar genre, and yeah. it can reach new and old audiences. You can reach an older audience who grew up on the golden age of westerns, yes, and and then make them watch something that challenges their ideas about um, right. this time period that they idolise so much, and make them think about what the, you know this genre that they love and reconsider it. And it also appeals to those who aren't super into westerns, yeah, you know, and get gets them by showing that they're subverting it. But anyway, there there have been a few like decent ones come out you know it's obviously it's much less of a thing nowadays because it's just not what people want anymore and that's fair enough yeah things change we you know genres change and we've got you know we've got superhero movies now they're very similar yeah to western not always in structure but definitely in like character and, and yeah. themes and stuff of like it's these people who are in who are gonna sort everything out yeah yeah um and sometimes they're morally great but sometimes they're not so what i wanted to say at last is what do we think of westerns? Because I have been doing this research for a while, and I've watched a lot of them. And you know what I've realised? I don't like them as much as I thought I did. Yeah. I was always entranced by the idea of cowboys. I love a cowboy. 
I love cowboys. I love dressing like a cowboy. I do have a lot of cowboy outfits. Yeah. Um, and I really like that. But you know what? I find a lot of westerns, especially kind of the more traditional, like epic ones, very boring. Yeah. They're always much less action packed than I think they're going to be. They're always just people going on a journey across somewhere. Like I watched True Grit, and I was like, "This is nothing's happening. Why is mm. nothing happening?" Like they they're going on a journey across somewhere. Occasionally, there's a bit of action, and then it goes back to them doing nothing. And I understand yeah. it's important for like character, you know, discussion and stuff and that. But I feel that like the sisters brothers did character um relationships and development better. Than, like true grit and it's had more action as well yeah you know it was great there's some some real tender cowboys in some that. tender cowboys the way they were looking at each other oh tell me it's not true <laughs> they love each other <laughs> yeah do you have any thoughts well i mean you know i love me a cowboy we do know this yeah we do know this i i guess a cowboy is that relevant <laughs> <laughs> which cowboy name one uh Rizalman and the sisters, right? Okay, cool, yeah, fine. <laughs> That's one. Yeah. Um Yeah, the I feel like like traditional Westerns, I haven't really seen many or any of them, but they don't particularly interest me. No. The way but no point watching a film that just doesn't yeah. appeal to you. But the Western plot structure is so vague and ubiquitous, like you're gonna like some films that oh, are technically yeah, Westerns. All of the films on my list I gave at least out of the ones that I'd seen are all films that I really like. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's, it's a sneaky genre. Because you can watch a film and think, I hate Westerns and you can watch Star Wars and it's like, well actually that's a Western, you know? Yeah. It's great. You can watch Bill and Ted you can watch Polygon.com for our big boy season or Dead And enjoy a nice Western. And enjoy a nice ten minute long Western. Exactly. Yeah, Bill and Ted doesn't count. I'm sorry. I the other ones were solid, that one doesn't count. No, I was I was somewhat convinced that it could be I'm open I'm open to People suggesting why it might be. Yeah, I just couldn't think of an immediate reason how it. Explanation for me. There's a cowboy in it. <laughs> they were in the world Lester a bit. They have oh, a cowboy with them. They have a cowboy with them. They do. Anyway, this has been not the Lumiers. This sure has been not. It the really Lumiers. has. We're so sorry for how long it took for this one to come out. Life the world. Happened. The world kind of went back to how it was a bit. So we were doing things. Yeah, I got very. Create not creatively research blocked on how how to write this episode, yeah. um, and I've been doing a lot of the research. It's, it was it was quite a lot. To be fair, this isn't our longest episode by far. No, but it took me a lot of time. It was a lot of research that I did. Yeah, we we, we kind of um flew too close to the sun. Really. We did we two, a whole genre. We did a whole genre which um has spanned from literally the beginning of film to now. Yeah. So next next episode is going to be definitely more. Compact. It's gonna be more specific, I think. Yeah. Um, and hopefully it's gonna be one where I actually enjoy watching the films. Yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. I try and watch some of the most, you know, not most, but like enough of the films to have an idea of what the genre's like. Yeah. But yeah. So thanks yeah. very much for Thank listening. Thank you. Follow us on Instagram at not the Lumiers underscores between the words. No accent on that e. I think we don't really have any other plugs. I don't understand Twitter enough to have I'm, a Twitter I account for Twitter, it. Or I don't even. Have personal one. No. Yeah, please follow us on Instagram if you like the podcast. Yeah. Um, we'll sort of give you little updates about what we're doing. And hopefully yeah. there'll be a much smaller gap between these two episodes. We're gonna try and crank another one out before I go to university in like a couple of weeks. Yeah. So we're hopefully still gonna be able to record the podcast when I'm at uni which I'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. Did you have a sign up line you wanted to I wanted it to be be excellent to each other. Oh yeah. Be, be excellent, excellent to each other. other. Bye! Bye!